You are listening to a message from Adam Reardon at Redemption Church in Belvedere, Illinois. At Redemption Church, we are all about introducing people into a growing relationship with Jesus. If you would like more information, check us out online at redemption.cc. Now stay tuned for today's message. So now we're just going to pray. And uh, if you didn't catch on, those are horrible tips, except for number six, uh, no interlocking of hands. That one, that one is worth noting. But hey, I would absolutely love it if you would open up your Bibles uh, this morning to Matthew chapter 6. That's where we're going to spend our time together this morning, is uh, Matthew chapter 6. And as you uh, open your Bibles, uh, I'm going to pray for us. If you'd like to join me, let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to be together in this place. Uh, God, as we open up your word this morning, uh, we pray that you would uh, make your truth uh, just real to us, God, that it would be uh, something that just makes it into our mind, into our hearts, God. I pray that you'd give us eyes to see you, uh, ears to hear you, and hearts to love you this morning, God. And I pray that uh, what we would experience is more of you this morning. God, I pray that we would be uh, not just hearers of the word, but we would be doers of the word this morning. I so thank you for the words of Jesus this morning and pray that they would make a difference in our lives, Jesus. We just ask all of this in your name. Amen. Well, hey, today we are in Matthew chapter 6, part of the Sermon on the Mount series, and what we're talking about is prayer. And uh, we get to this point in the Sermon on the Mount, which I think is really, really practical and really, really powerful uh, for us, because uh, I don't know if you can kind of think back to maybe one of the first times you actually prayed in your life. If you think about uh, that moment where maybe the first time you sat down and have conversation with God. And in fact, one of the things that's true about all of our lives is that we've all been invited into a relationship with God where we could know him personally and and intimately and have a relationship with him. And and one of the things that's true for you and true for me is that we can enter into the throne room of God, that we've been invited uh, to know God and have conversations with God, that we can even ask God for things, no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing, that God is available to us. In fact, sometimes we can even look around at the world we live in and see things that are happening. And, and, and what usually happens in our culture is when there's some sort of tragedy or when there's you know some sort of natural disaster or things go bad or, or the person that you're not voting for looks like they're going to win. Uh, this little thing shows up on Twitter and Facebook where we just like hashtag pray for, right? That we're, we're praying for our nation, we're praying for people, we're praying for that city. And yet one of the things that, that I think is true. I think one of the things we have to wrestle with is, uh, do we really understand what the scriptures have to say about prayer? Uh, have, could it be, and I know, this is, I know this is a little bit offensive, but like, could it be that we've missed the point when it comes to prayer? And the reason I ask that question is because in Luke chapter 11, uh, the disciples ask Jesus this question. They've been around him for a while. Uh, they, they've heard him pray. They, they've experienced his prayer life. And in Luke chapter 11, the disciples come to Jesus. These are good Jewish boys. They, they thought they knew all there was to know on communicating with God. They thought that uh, they had pretty good prayer lives. And yet then they were around Jesus and they realized that Jesus knew so much more about prayer than they did. And so they asked Jesus, hey, would you teach us to pray? And if you looked in Luke chapter 11, uh, Jesus answers their question uh, almost the exact same way that he teaches us how to pray in Matthew chapter 6, which means that we can learn how to pray. 
Like, I, I love that when, when they ask Jesus, hey, will you teach us to pray? He doesn't say, no. What Jesus says is like, of course I can teach you to pray. Of course you can grow in this area. Of, of course this is something that you can go deeper in, that you can mature in, that, that, that there's, there's probably areas in our lives that we, we haven't experienced this till the fullest, and yet Jesus desires that we would know what he knows, that Jesus desires that you and I would have a prayer life that looks like his prayer life. And Jesus begins to teach the disciples what it looks like for him to pray. And I think Jesus teaches you and he teaches me what it looks like to pray. And as we get into Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 5, I think this is so fascinating. Jesus begins to talk about prayer and he begins to talk about things that we've probably never even thought of. Look at this, Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 5. Jesus says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, if you were here last week, Jesus kind of sums up that, that sentence with the same way uh, he talked about uh, living for the applause of God or the applause of people, that he presents us with this idea that God is attentive in our lives, that God sees what we do in private, and God sees what we do in public, and he's with us. And Jesus says again that, hey, that, that there's things that you can do that, that actually kind of promotes the activity of God in your life. And not only do you experience the activity of God, but your heavenly Father will reward you as you do these things. But Jesus also makes it clear that you and I could actually pray in such a way that we could pray with such an attitude or such a heart that the only reward that we would receive would actually be the applause of men. That if we get into a room, if our prayer life is only a public prayer life where we really don't pray to seek after the heart of God, but rather we pray so people think, man, isn't that guy so godly? Or isn't, isn't that just such, that, that woman, she just prays so well that if we pray for the applause of others, Jesus says there's a reward. Your reward's just that people think you're really good at praying. That people just think you're really spiritual and really holy, and that's your reward. But he says there's a better way. And Jesus begins to say, if you want to experience the better way, here's a couple things to consider. And before Jesus even teaches us how to pray, he first teaches us where to pray. And one of the things that Jesus says is, hey, location matters. Jesus says, hey, there's going to be times that you're going to pray for people in public. There's going to be times that you pray for people. There's going to be times that you're asked to pray at the dinner table. You're going to be asked to pray at events. You're going to be asked to pray over a friend or another believer, and that's fine. But what Jesus says is that shouldn't be your only prayer life, that there should be a time where you carve out some time that you get in a specific place and you pray that there's something incredibly significant about making ourselves available to God in a distraction-free zone. Now, now, if you've studied your Bible or if you grew up in Sunday school, uh, you would say, well, hey, Jesus says to get into a room to pray, but like, when did Jesus go into a room to pray? And like, you would be so right thinking that. Because Jesus often didn't get alone in a room and pray. Jesus often got up before the sun came up and went into the wilderness and prayed. So for me, I love this because Jesus says, hey, you can find an air-conditioned room in your home, not, hey, you have to go to the forest preserve. 
Jesus says, hey, I want you to just find a place where you can get alone. I want you to, to find a place that's private. I want you to find a place where you can kind of close the door, that you can close off the distractions, that you can close off uh, other people seeing you because it's not about anybody other than you and your heavenly father. I think about it this way. Uh, in a typical busy week of my life, my wife and I can communicate almost nonstop. Uh, who's going where? What time's this appointment? This needs picked up at the store. Don't forget we have to, to be here at this time at this place. Don't forget this is what's going on with this kid. Don't, don't forget we had a music lesson this week. Don't forget about this. Hey, the trash has to get taken out. Hey, this needs to get fixed. Hey, what about that? We can communicate almost nonstop. But that's not the same as going to a restaurant alone and just communicating with one another. That those, those constant texts and communication isn't like uh, finding someone to watch the kids for a day or two and getting in a car and going away for a day or two, just the two of us. That's a completely different type of communication. It looks completely different. It feels completely different. And if my wife was up here, she would tell you that if we're having conversation and my phone's in my hand or on the table, she would say that doesn't even count because it's a different type of communication. And God says the same is true. Jesus, the same is true that there's, you, you can pray in your car on the way to work. You can pray as you enter the office building. You can hope that your boss is in a good mood. You can pray as you enter the classroom, as you go about your life. And you're welcome to do all that, and you should do all that. But there's something incredibly significant about saying, hey, God, in, this next few, in these next few minutes, in this, in this next time as I enter into this room, like it's just about me and it's just about you and it's about nothing else. See, Jesus says, before I even teach you how, I first have to talk about where you pray. And then I love this because Jesus says, hey, once you have that figured out, once you kind of have a location, which like if you've been around church or if you've been a Christian for a long time, like you'll hear people talk about their prayer closet, and this is where they get that idea. I'm a big man. There's not one single closet in my house that I feel comfortable locking myself in. I get a little claustrophobic. I've seen a couple scary movies that things go bad in dark closets and small places. But finding that spot, finding that place, Jesus says is so important. And then I love what Jesus says next because he takes the pressure off. And he says, hey, it's, there's something about location, but here, here's the thing. Like, some of you put way too much emphasis on what you say and how you say it. And so Jesus takes the pressure off and says, Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 7, And when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Like Jesus says, hey, I want you to know something. Because you've seen some people pray before and, and you thought they were really holy when they prayed. Like they, they said like, Father, we beseech you. And you're like, I don't even know what that means, but it sounds spiritual. And you've heard people like pray in like old English and it's like, man, that just, I don't pray that way. And Jesus says, can I tell you something? It's not about the words you use. It's not about the volume you use. It's not even necessarily about the length of time that you pray. And Jesus says, do you know that the, like, the pressure isn't on you? Like, if you've ever been frustrated in prayer, you're probably frustrated because you feel like the burden of prayer is your burden to carry, but it's not. 
And Jesus is, is referring to Gentiles who would have these rituals and who would just chant and, and sing and, and chant and, and sing. And, and they would have these incantations and they would do these things until something happened and sometimes nothing happened. And so they just continued and continued and continued and continued. And Jesus says, "Don't I want you to understand something. There's something more to prayer. In fact, if we're completely honest, for most of us, including me, the point of our prayer life is to ask God to do stuff. Like the reason we pray is because we want God to get involved in our life, get involved in our relationships, get involved in the lives of my children, get involved in my finances, get involved in the things happening in my life, get involved in the things happening in my community, get involved in the things happening in my world. Like usually when we go to God in prayer, it's because we want something, desire something, or there's some sort of problem that we have. And what we really want is for God to solve that problem or to grant us something or to do what we want him to do. And Jesus says, hey, can I, can I just clear something up for you? Your heavenly father knows what you need before you even ask him. And see, if that's true, like, if it's true that God already knows what I need, and if it's true that God already knows what you need, then I think we have to arrive at the question, then what in the world is prayer for? Because I thought prayer was always about asking God for stuff. In fact, if you wrestle with this long enough, I think it actually gives us some, some freedom. I actually think it gives us some encouragement. I, I had two thoughts about this this week that were just really encouraging me. The first one is this, is I have never prayed a prayer that has surprised God, ever. And you have never prayed a prayer that surprised God. You have never once in your life said, Heavenly Father, I come before you today, and God was like, oh, really? Hey, thank you for telling me that. I didn't know. I'm so surprised by what you're saying. Man, had it not been for you praying that 30-second prayer, I would have been ignorant about that issue. That's never happened. Never. God has never been surprised by one thing that you've said to him because he already knew, which means this. It means you never have to fake it. It means you never have to try to hold back because he already knows. And I think it also takes the pressure off in this sense. If God already knows what I need, then his response to my prayer has very little to actually do with me. That sometimes we, we treat God like a, a cosmic vending machine, and if we just try to figure out if I can hit the right numbers in the right orders, then God will just give me what I want. And Jesus says, no, no, it's, like, it's not like that. Because your heavenly Father already knows exactly what you need before you ever ask him. See, I think Jesus begins to lead us down this path. I think he creates this conflict or this tension intentionally that he goes, if prayer, if prayer isn't just about saying really big spiritual words, if prayer actually has nothing to do with people thinking that you're really spiritual or really holy, if prayer isn't even just about asking God for stuff, then I think we have to ask this question, then is there more? Then is there more? Like, what is God's heart for us in this area of prayer? And see, what Jesus says next is some of the most well-known scripture in our land. In fact, sometimes we become so familiar with the scriptures that I think we forget how powerful they are. 
that we can become so familiar with them that, that we don't actually wrestle and try to understand what they mean. In fact, Jesus gives us next the way he prays. And what I think is that when Jesus gave us this, I think he knew we would memorize it. I think he knew that we would, we would turn it into something that, that we esteem as a holy prayer. But I don't think Jesus ever intended for what he says next to become something that people kind of mumble with no passion at church services. Because you ever been there where somebody starts in the Lord's Prayer and everybody's like, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. And then you get to the line where it's, is it debts or trespasses? You ever been to one of those services? And so you're just like, and forgive us our state, and forgive us our, and we forgive those against us. Because you don't want to be wrong. You don't want to be the guy that's like, that's a trespasses guy, and this is a debtor church, or vice versa. I don't think Jesus ever intended for that to happen. In fact, what I think Jesus says is, listen, if, if, if you would grasp this, if we would wrestle with this, we would, be, we would begin to understand that prayer is about more, that there's something deeper, there's something more spiritual, there's something more significant. In fact, what Jesus says to you and to me, what he says to the first disciples, is that when we get alone with God, when we close the door, that our Father who is in secret sees what we are doing and he is attentive, he is present, he is watching, he is with us, and he will reward us. I once heard somebody say it this way. They said, prayer is the context in which God becomes our heavenly Father and Jesus really becomes our personal Lord and Savior. And so this is kind of my disclaimer. This is, this is kind of my warning to us. As we get into this, my hope is that it's not so familiar. But my hope is that we don't just blow by what Jesus is saying because I think he's giving to this, this to us for a purpose. I don't think this is just a formula. I think what Jesus says is this reflects what his prayer life is like. I think what Jesus is doing is giving us his attitude, his posture, his heart in prayer. And he offers it to us so we can learn from him. He offers it to us so that we could begin to experience the same kind of prayer life that he experienced. So let's dive into this. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Jesus says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Like one of the things that Jesus says that you and I should spend time doing in prayer is simply recognizing who we're talking to. That Jesus says part of his prayer life is that he just spends time recognizing that he is coming into the presence of his Father. That, that word hallowed means to esteem, to elevate, to hold in high regard. And see, the mistake that most of us make is when we go to God in prayer, we start with us. We start with our wishes, our wants, our needs, our problems, our situations, our goals. And Jesus says, no, no, don't start with you. Because there's something bigger and greater and holier than you, and it's your Heavenly Father. Start with Him. Take some time to recognize who it is you're talking to. Take some time to recognize whose presence it is that you're stepping into. Spend some time knowing who your Heavenly Father is and what the Scripture says He's like. Spend some time just declaring the greatness of God. Call Him by name. But begin to use some of the titles that are in the scriptures. If you don't know what those are, you, you can even buy prayer books that teach you the names of God. But I think this is really important because the reality is, 
the more time we spend recognizing who it is that we're talking to, the more confidence we'll have in him and his ability to handle every single detail and problem and heartache of our lives. See, what happens is we often, at least I know I do, we can spend so much time focusing on our problems, focusing on the storm, focusing on the pain, focusing on the tough time. We spend so much time fixing our glance on the issue, the problem, the desire, that big, ugly, hairy thing in our lives that we're trying to deal with. And the longer we look at it, the bigger it gets. And she says, you know what the solution is for that? Like, don't spend all your time looking at the problem. Spend most of your time looking at your heavenly father. See, often we spend all of our time telling God about how big our problem is. And Jesus says, no, 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 you need to spend time telling your problem about how big your God is. Like, you need to focus on the power of your heavenly father who loves you. Like, we spend, we spend too much time focusing on the storm, but rather we need to focus on Jesus who commands the storm to cease. And see, sometimes we just have to focus on God. And Jesus says, start there. Don't start with you. Don't start with the wish, the wants, the, the requests. He says, don't start there. Start with God. And see, some of you are those type A personalities, and you're trying to figure this out. And so you're like, well, how long should I do that for? And isn't it beautiful that Jesus doesn't give us an answer? I would say do it until it sinks in. Like do it until you recognize that you are in the presence of a holy, powerful, sovereign God. Like stay in that moment until you recognize that you have the attention of the Alpha and the Omega, the creator of all things, that the scriptures say that Jesus literally holds the stars in place by the power of your will. When you understand that you're in his presence, that it's that guy that desires a relationship with you, then maybe you can move on to what Jesus says next. Now, I think, and this is just me, I think what Jesus says next is actually the point of prayer. I think this is where transformation happens. I, I think this is the part that we skip. I think the word that I'm about to use, most of us won't like. I often don't like it. But Jesus says it this way, Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. He says, hey, once you've spent time focusing on your heavenly Father, once you've spent some time declaring his greatness, he says this, say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Like, if you wanted to summarize that, you would simply use the word surrender. That Jesus says, hey, before you ever get to your wishes, your wants, your desires, your problems, your requests, surrender. See, the big question is this, is once you take the time to recognize who it is you're talking to, the next biggest question to ask is, will I surrender my life to him? Like, am I at a place where I say, hey, God, your will be done as it is in heaven. God, your wants, your wishes, your desires, your will, not mine. Jesus says, before you even ask for anything, you should just spend time telling God, hey, God, you're God and I'm not. Hey, God, you're in control and I'm not. Hey, God, whatever you want for my life, whatever you want for my family, whatever you want for my career, God, whatever you want in my finances, your will be done in my life as it is in heaven. And God, no matter how you answer these prayers I'm about to give you, no matter if you say yes or no or maybe, whether you answer them quickly or slowly, here's what I'm committing to you. I'm yours. I will follow you. I will walk in obedience to you. That I will worship you while I wait. That I will stay with you in this season, God. That I believe in you, I love you, and I am fully surrendered to you. 
See, friends, this is where life change happens. This is where the gospel becomes real. This is where we begin to see the course of our lives change because we stop looking at ourselves and we start seeking first the kingdom of God. See, it's kind of in these moments where we say, hey, God, no matter what you say, no matter what you want, no matter, no matter, no matter, I believe in you, I trust you, and I walk in obedience to you. What begins to happen is we begin to experience alignment in our lives. Where instead of we're trying to tug God our way, we're trying to get God involved, we're trying to get him to do stuff, we're trying to rub kind of the magic rabbit's foot and get the cosmic vending machine and say, hey God, I'm not going to try to get you to anything. Rather, I'm just going to align my heart with your heart, my will with your will, my life with your life. Whatever you say, I'll go. Whatever you say, I'll do. Whatever you want, that's what I want. Let your will be done, not mine. See, so some of us are taking notes. We're going, so how long do I do that for? And the question is, I don't know. In fact, in the life of Jesus, we see two examples of this. In John chapter 11, Jesus brings a guy who's been dead for a few days back to life. His name is Lazarus. It's a huge miracle. Uh, even, even the sisters, Martha and Mary, that love Jesus aren't really sure that Jesus can pull this off. In fact, at the end of this miracle, people begin to recognize that Jesus must really be who he says he is. And yet before Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, the scriptures say he prays about a 10-second prayer. Now, I don't know about you. But if I had the job of bringing a dead person back to life, that'd probably be more than a 10-second prayer, but not for Jesus. In fact, you can go into John 11 and you can read the scriptures, but this is, this is kind of what Jesus says. He's like, Heavenly Father, I know this is your will. I know you want to bring Lazarus back from the dead. I'm really just praying this prayer because you already know what you want to do, and I know what you want to do, and I'm really just praying this prayer so the people around me know that it's you that's bringing Lazarus back from the dead. Amen. And then he commands Lazarus to come out of the tomb, and he does. But then the scriptures tell us that the night before Jesus goes to the cross in the garden, that he prayed all night. That wasn't a 10-second prayer. In fact, the scriptures say that Jesus prayed with such intensity that he actually began to sweat blood. In Jesus' prayer in the garden, you can go read this for yourself, he, he literally says, Father... If there's any way that you can take this cup before me. And here's what Jesus is literally praying. He goes, I know what's coming for me tomorrow. I know it's the cross. I know what's going to happen to me. I know the suffering. I know your will for me. And this is Jesus' prayer. If there's any other way we can accomplish this. If there's any other way we can make this happen, would you make it happen? And Jesus prays all night and then he prays this prayer your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus says, hey, I just want to spend this time. I know what's coming. And I'm going to take all night. But Father, whatever you want next, I'm in. Your will be done. And see, this is where our prayer gets both personal and real. This is where our worship becomes transformative. In fact, I would offer you this suggestion. The longer you stay in this place, you will actually begin to discover peace. Because what if, 
What if you knew your situation wasn't going to change, but what if you were so aware that God was with you and that God was for you and that you were walking in alignment with his will and his power while nothing around you changes? You know what would change? You would have peace because you would experience the presence and the power and the peace of God in your life. So Jesus says, hey, before you ever get to the wishes, the wants, and the stuff, hey, spend some time declaring the greatness of God. And before you ever get to your to-do list and your task, like, just commit yourself that you're fully surrendered to your Heavenly Father. And then Jesus gets to the part that we really love. And then he says, go ahead and ask for stuff. In fact, the way that Jesus tells us to ask for stuff is in a way of, of almost declaring our dependency upon God. And this is kind of our favorite point, but this is how Jesus says it. Matthew 6, 11, give us. So this is the part where we get to ask, hey, God, we love you. You're great. You're awesome. You're powerful. Now give us this day our daily bread. Now for the first century hearers of this, when they hear give us our day, this daily bread, this has huge implications for Jewish people. For them, they instantly thought of being taken out of Egypt and walking through the desert where God provided them with their daily bread. See, when we see daily bread, you think of Panera bread or the bagels in your, in your shelf that you have in the morning. But for them, when they heard daily bread, what they thought of was when God provided manna from heaven for the nation of Israel as they walked through the desert. And if you're not familiar with it, what would happen is every morning God would provide manna that would literally fall from the heavens. And it was only good for one day. If you tried to put the manna in a jar, it would just go bad. You couldn't eat it. And here's what I always thought about with this experience is the manna falls for the first time. And it's like, who's the first person to try that? Like, who's the first person who's like, hey, I saw this thing fall from the sky and it looks kind of bready and mushy. Like, who was the first guy who's like, I'll put that in my mouth, see what's going on. But for the nation of Israel, they knew, hey, this is what God does. He provides us with his daily bread. He provided for our people. He gave us enough that we needed for that day that we would become 100% dependent upon God. In fact, God tells the nation of Israel, he says, the reason I'm doing this is so that you are reminded to always stay dependent upon me. And he tells them, he says, listen, one day you will have so much bread that nations will come to you for bread. Like, listen, one day you'll have so much bread that you can choose from wheat bread, you can choose from white bread, you can make bread in your home, you'll have bread with gluten, you'll have pre-sliced bread, like, you'll have all kinds of bread. But Jesus says, don't forget that no matter how much you have, you're fully dependent upon me. And see, Jesus says, hey, we completely missed the point if we just ask God for stuff because there's something greater than just asking God. There's this idea that we declare to God that, God, we are completely and utterly dependent upon you for our daily bread. So when we ask God for stuff, we don't just ask God for stuff. When we ask God for stuff, we also declare that he is the provider and the sustainer of all things. And so Jesus says, hey, when you ask, ask. But be reminded that the reason you ask him is because he is the provider of all that you have. Whether you have just a little or if you have a lot, God is the one who provides. He says, hey, when you're praying, Jesus says, hey, you know what I do when I pray is I ask God for my daily bread. But he says, listen, there's more than that. Like ask God, like declare your dependency for the pardon of your sin. Matthew chapter 6, 12, and forgive us our debts. 
debts. We have also been forgiven our debtors. Or you can go ahead and throw trespasses in there, whatever you're comfortable with, people, whatever you're comfortable with. And Jesus says, hey, there's something where we just want to be dependent upon God for our forgiveness. And when you go before God, just confess that you're a sinner and just, he already knows. Like you've never confessed a sin with God. And he was like, I didn't know about that. Thanks for telling me. He already knows. And part of our prayer life is just coming before our Heavenly Father saying we're completely dependent upon you for pardon. We're completely dependent upon you for salvation. And then every time you go before the Lord, just spend some time asking for forgiveness, confessing your sins, asking for forgiveness. Now, now here's the thing. I think Jesus knew when he gave us this that there was a tendency in our hearts to use prayer as a substitute for obedience. Like eight years ago in my own life, Audrey and I got on this kick where we were trying to like, we were going to go like no sugar, like no sugar in the diet, no sugar in our lives, sugar-free everything. Uh, And so in the morning, we would put Splenda in our coffee. Now, I can't tell you exactly when it happened, but at some point, I convinced myself that Splenda tasted good, okay? Like at some point, I lied to myself. And like somebody even like baked us a cake one time, and they're like, oh, take a bite of this. And I took a bite, and I thought, this is horrendous. And they're like, you can't tell there's not sugar in there. I'm like, no, no, I can tell, and the rest of this is going in the garbage because it's nasty. But we were using Splenda as a sugar substitute. And I was traveling. I was on the road, and I was with a group of guys, and we went, we went through a drive through this little mom-and-pop coffee shop. And so I was like, hey, I want a large coffee with cream and, like, three Splendas. That was my order. And so we're driving down the road, and I'm drinking this coffee, and it was the best cup of coffee I had ever had in my entire life. Like I at one point was like, we should turn around and go back because I want more of this. I don't know why it's so good, but this is the best cup of coffee I've ever had. And all the guys in the car were like, it's okay, bro. Like settle down. And I got about halfway through the cup. And then I realized the reason it was so good is because the sweet old lady said, Splenda, sure. And she put about half a cup of sugar in it. And it was delightful because you know what that last sip of coffee was like? It was like a candy bar. It was like a candy bar, and I I loved that woman for it. And here's what I realized. Like, Splenda is not a great substitute for sugar. Because the minute I got the sugar, it was so much sweeter. It was so much better. Now I just drink my coffee black, and I think God smiles upon that. But here's why I share that story with you. is because prayer is not a good substitute for obedience. Like, listen to the way that Jesus says this. Hey, forgive us our debts as we, as we forgive this isn't, hey, God, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to pray that one day I will forgive. Hey, God, I want to one day become a forgiver. Hey, God, maybe one day you'd provide me with the knowledge, the strength, and the ability. Jesus says, no, prayer is not a substitute for forgiveness. Prayer encourages us and enables us to obey. So Jesus says, hey, pray for your forgiveness as you forgive others. Hey, as you go before God and plea for your salvation, don't forget to freely forgive others exactly like your heavenly Father has forgiven you. Jesus says you're completely dependent on God for your daily bread, but you're also completely dependent on God for your pardon of sin. And then he finishes up this way. He says, Matthew 6, 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That as we pray, one of the things we declare is that we're completely dependent upon God for our protection. Hey God, today would you lead me not into temptation, but deliver us from evil? Now, while this is familiar, I also think this is probably the most confused verse of the Lord's Prayer. 
Because scripture tells us that God doesn't lead us to temptation. And so you're going, what in the world is Jesus talking about? Because scripture says God doesn't tempt us. But what scripture says is that God does test us. In fact, in 1 Peter 1.7, it says that the genuine testing of our faith is more precious than gold that perishes by fire. That God tests our faith. Not because God doesn't know how strong we are, but because we don't always know how strong our faith is. And so sometimes God will test our faith. Sometimes the enemy places things before us that are just tests, but we allow them to become temptations. So this is Jesus' prayer. This is the same language as when Jesus is tempted by the devil himself. And Jesus goes, hey, these are tests of my faith. And so every time Satan puts something before Jesus, he just responds with scripture and goes, I'm not tempted to do this. I know exactly what you're doing. You can test my faith, but you can't tempt me. And this is Jesus' prayer that we should pray. Hey, God, give me the strength. Hey, God, give me the wisdom. Hey, God, give me the power to know what is from you and what's not from you. God, give me the clarity to know what your will is and give me the clarity to know when the enemy is tempting me into sin. And would you protect me in that moment? Would you fortify my spine in that moment? Would you give me the fortitude to say no to the devil and yes to you every single time? And then Jesus just kind of ends his prayer. And for some of you, you're wondering, like, where is, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory and forever and ever, amen? Well, it's not in there, ever. In fact, most people believe about the first century that some people were wrestling with this and going, you know, Jesus didn't wrap this thing up very well. And one day we might want to print this, crochet it. We might, want to, we might want to put things on it. We might want to sing it at people's weddings. And, like, you just don't have that crescendo when, you know, you end up, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Right? You needed that. But that was never in the scripture. Jesus just kind of ended his prayer because here's, here's what I think Jesus was giving us. He was giving us his heart. He was giving us his posture. And he was giving us his outline so that we could take it and adapt it and so that we could experience the same kind of prayer life that Jesus himself was experiencing. So he asked the question, he goes, so what in the world do we do with this? Well, what if? What if we just took the next week of our lives and we prayed like Jesus? Like, what if we found a place where we could get alone with God? No distractions, no people watching, no TV on, no, no, nothing that would take our, our focus off of Jesus, no room to be tempted to pray, so I seem really spiritual, just say, hey, God, I just want to meet with you. And what if in that time we didn't spend all our time asking God for stuff, but rather, what if we just spent some time recognizing who it is we're talking to? What would happen if you spent time this week surrendering your will, just saying, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done in my life as it is in heaven? And after you did that, what if you just spent some time saying, hey, God, I'm completely dependent on me, so give me, provide me with, forgive me, and protect me? And what, what if God just showed up in a completely different way because we discovered that there was more to prayer than just getting stuff from God? Thanks again for listening to this message from Redemption Church in Belvedere, Illinois, where we believe faith is a journey, not a guilt trip. Listen again next week, but in the meantime, visit us at redemption.cc.